It's the e-commerce master plan podcast here to help you grow your e-commerce business faster and more efficiently by cutting through the hype to bring you inspiration and guidance from the e-commerce sector and beyond. Here's your host, Chloe Thomas. Hello, Master Plan World. It's great to have you all listening, and I'm really pleased to be bringing you our second takeaways episode of 2016. On Wednesday, I attended the Channel Advisor Catalyst Conference in London, and I have some great takeaways coming up shortly, including some very interesting insights into manufacturer wholesale retailer relationships, as well as the eBay, Amazon and general marketplace updates I'm sure you're expecting. This time I've decided to put the written version of this update, my script if you like, directly onto the webpage of this episode, so right into those show notes. So there'll be no form to fill in, nothing to download, it's just going to be right there like an exceptionally long blog post. You'll be able to find that at, in fact you can find that right now at ecommercemasterplan.com forward slash 47, that's four seven. Whilst you're on the website, why not also take a moment to add yourself to the early notification list for my new book. Everyone who signs up before the publication date, that's the 16th of May 2016, will get a free copy. The new book is called Customer Manipulation, How to Influence Your Customers to Buy More and Why an Ethical Approach Will Always Win. And the pre-publication reviewers are absolutely loving it. Here's what Stuart McMillan, Deputy E-Commerce Director of SHU, has said. As Chloe rightly points out, customer expectations have increased. Retailers need to meet or exceed that expectation if they are to persuade their visitors to become customers. The book doesn't try to give a one-size-fits-all answer to your problems. It guides you through how to find out what's right for your business. I guarantee you'll be sticking post-it notes in this book of things to investigate further. I know I will. Thank you very much, Stuart, for that one. Very much appreciate it. And I'm glad you've enjoyed reading it. Um, Following on from that, really, they did a little uh, hands-up moment at Catalyst and 50% of the attendees admitted to being worried about keeping up with the pace of change in e-commerce. And essentially, that's what the book's all about. It's about giving you a framework to enable you to keep up with customer expectations and the technological advances without getting overly worried about it. And you'll find all of that on the show notes page, so ecommercemasterplan.com forward slash 47. Right, enough of all that. Let's get on with the takeaways. Catalyst is a one-day conference run by Channel Advisor. There's two versions each year, one in the States and one in London. And unfortunately, this time I didn't have the time to nip over to Vegas. So I'm giving you the updates from London. This year in London, there were about 500 delegates and it was hosted at the Savoy on the Thames. So very nice location indeed. Uh, And it was a beautiful sunny day. Um, There was just one stream of content plus some expert roundtable sessions, but I didn't go to those. I stuck to the mainstream of the conference and I attended the whole of that bar, the very last session, uh, which was um, from someone from Ogilvy Advertising, because quite frankly, I wanted to get on the six o'clock train home. Um, Channel Advisor themselves are a software system for putting your products onto the marketplaces and onto many other things like Google Shopping and Facebook ads and different things. I'm sure left to, if I ask them for the for the description, it would be much more comprehensive than this. But I'm mainly putting this podcast together to tell you about what was going on rather than explain what Channel Advisor is. Um, they are probably the market leader in their field and have been running this conference for several years. They'd certainly be my first stop or they'd certainly make the um, the comparison list if I was looking for software to help me run my eBay, Amazon shops, etc. more efficiently and effectively. I went to Catalyst for the first time in years eh, last year 
and I thought it was my top e-commerce conference of 2016. Technically speaking, tied for first place with the Internet Retailing Conference in the autumn. But they're so different that I just couldn't pick one to be the number one. I was always planning on going to Catalyst again this year and was um, incentivised or finally got round to uh, buying my ticket just after our experts, you remember the expert podcast from back in January, well, they recommended it as one of the top conferences of 2016. Um, if you want to see their other recommendations, I'll have a link to that on the show notes for you as well. So that will be at ecommercemasterplan.com forward slash 47. So why do I like Catalyst? As you know, my specialism isn't marketplace selling. This isn't a podcast about FBA or eBay tactics. And I focus mainly on selling from your own website. But you can't work in e-commerce and not keep an eye on what's happening in marketplace world. Most of those I advise have some level of marketplace selling, including several who are currently busy working to reduce their reliance on the marketplaces. For many businesses, marketplace selling is a crucial way to grow sales or test overseas expansion. The Catalyst Conference gives me a really easy way to get my knowledge up to speed, a whole day immersed in the world of marketplaces, surrounded by people who are doing it day in, day out. So one of the key things I personally take away from a day in the marketplace world is that it's the same as a day in on-site e-commerce world. Very similar challenges and opportunities, and the fundamentals are the same. Find the right product, promote it in the right way, and look after your customers. But please don't think these takeaways are going to be all about what's going on with Amazon, eBay and Alibaba. Whilst the conference is aimed at marketplace sellers, the content is much more wide ranging than just eBay this, Newegg that. So there's plenty in this episode for all of you who are listening. It's also a conference at which I meet really interesting delegates. I had some great chats and met some really interesting people, a couple of whom will hopefully be on the podcast in the next couple of months. Tim, Ruth, I'm talking about you two. So here's a couple of quick definitions for you then. Let's let's get on with this. Marketplaces. I've already used this word a few times. So before we dive in, I just wanted to clarify that a marketplace is anywhere online that's not your website, which you're feeding your products onto. So there's now hundreds of them. Big ones like eBay and Amazon and niche ones for specific product categories or customers or geographies. Remember my takeaways from TCOM last year where I talked about Lamoda and using that as an entry point into Eastern Europe? There's a link to that one in the show notes for you as well. Okay, another definition for you before we get to the health warning and then finally into the content. And that definition is third party. And the phrase third party in the world of marketplaces is when you're selling your products via the marketplace. So if you're listing products on Amazon, you're a third party seller on Amazon. The first party sellers on Amazon are Amazon themselves. So um, the majority of the people listening to this podcast are going to be people who are considering becoming a third party seller on a marketplace. That's listing your products. Okay, the health warning. So before we dive right into these takeaways, I need to get one health warning out of the way. The conference, the Catalyst Conference, and thus this podcast, is all about marketplaces. It's focused on just one part of the e-commerce mix. It's not a full insight into the world of e-commerce at the moment. So please don't think of this podcast as giving you your next 12 months of actions and strategy. Rather think of it as a window into the world of marketplaces to spark some ideas and some thoughts that you could be using in your business over the coming coming months, the coming years. Very much like the takeaways from the delivery conference was a window into what's happening in the world of delivery. 
again with a with a very definite theme running through them all but I'll talk about that later at the end of the takeaways I'm going to run through a quick list of things I think you might want to be putting on the to-do list but as always take a look at your strategy take a look at your plans consider that list in the light of what's going on at your business because it's not nothing in e-commerce is one size fits all Right then, these are our takeaway topics for today. Um, I've got some updates about eBay and Amazon. Then we've got a little mini update from Google. Um, I've got a recommended approach for big marketplace selling. I think you'll find quite interesting. Uh, Some consistent trend themes I vaguely alluded to about a minute ago. Uh, We've got the fact that logistics is still a huge battleground. Um, I'm going to be suggesting that you keep an eye on mobile and I'll explain more of that later. Uh, The awakening of manufacturers, brand owners and wholesalers which I think is a really fascinating update. And then I'm going to wrap up with some kind of bullet point updates from Google. And of course, as I've already said, I'm going to sum all of that up with some potential actions. So let's get on with the first set of takeaway updates, eBay and Amazon updates. As you can imagine, a lot was said about eBay and Amazon during the day. Each of them had their own session on stage with Amazon, quite frankly, giving uh, any politician a run for their money. Neither of them announced anything new, but there were some elements which I think it's worth having a refresh about in case you haven't heard about them or they kind of passed you by the first time you heard. So first up, where each of them is focusing. I'm adding this in because I think it was the first time I remember hearing this explained so clearly. So Amazon's key focus is on product selection, convenience, by which essentially they mean shipping, and price eBay, however, are focused on being the world's leading virtual mall for discovering great value and unique selection. At first listen, those might appear very, very similar. But to my mind, there's two two big um, differences between them, which I think you'll agree as I run through them are borne out across both their actions as well as their strategy. So customer service is a big difference eBay makes no mention of it at all, whilst Amazon put it front and centre. They want to control that customer service. Think about FBA, fulfilled by Amazon, the delivery systems they're building and more. They really do recognise that the most important part is the shipping and the convenience. Whereas for eBay, it's not part of what they do. The other big difference is selection. At first glance, they appear to be having the same thing to do with selection, but Amazon seems much more popularist. It's about selection for the masses, whilst on eBay, it's a huge focus, discovering and unique selection. That unique selection requires the casual consumer lister as much as it requires wholesalers, retailers and more. I guess that's what happens when one business starts off as a marketplace, eBay, and the other starts off as a retailer. Let's now dive into some little updates from both of them. Um, So Amazon, we can't ignore Amazon. Channel Advisor reckon Amazon is considerably bigger and growing faster than we realise because their earning statements only include the commission they earn from third party sales, not the value of the third party sales. So if you take into account what extrapolate up what those third party sales are probably worth, then David Spitz, the uh, the CEO of Channel Advisor, he's the one who's running through all this, he reckons that it's probably now that Amazon are the largest retailer in the world. They probably took that mantle from Walmart back in October, November time, 2015. They're a force to be reckoned with then, which you just can't ignore. They're also growing ridiculously fast and growing faster every year. So 
uh, Wells Fargo, which I think is a US bank um, or certainly a US economic institution of some sort, um, it, they uh, analysed the retail market in the USA. So that's the whole retail market, both on and offline sales in Q4 2015. And the total growth that happened in that marketplace, they believe that Amazon absorbed 55% of the retail growth. That's massive, Um, especially considering that in the US, e-commerce, so online sales, only makes up 10% of the total retail mix. Um, And last, the previous year, 2014, they'd only absorbed 42% of it, which again is still huge. Um, So Amazon really are a force to be reckoned with. They're changing consumer behaviour and they are growing ever faster, ever larger. But the good news, though, as we have to pay attention to Amazon, is that they need us, the rest of us as well, because 47% of their unit sales are now third-party sales. So 47% of the products that are sold on Amazon aren't um, bought wholesale by Amazon. They're, They're other people's products. And they're continuing to do a lot to make it easier for all of us to use FBA and also to make it easier for customers to shop with them. So FBA, I mentioned it a few times, is the the acronym for Fulfilled by Amazon. That's where you deliver your products to Amazon, you trade them, but Amazon deal with the dispatch. Um, And they certainly seem to be continuing to push retailers to do this, I assume, because consumers um, really love it. So huge investment going on in warehousing and the staff to populate those warehouses, Uh, They've launched uh, something called FBA Small and Light, which is for products under £7 that fit into an envelope, so a slightly different pricing scheme. So if you looked at FBA a while ago and thought, God, because of our products, we we can't afford to do this. Take another look. Now now they've they've bought out Small and Light. They're also really pushing the ease of cross-border sales using FBA. You just deliver it into Amazon and they'll worry about the rest of Europe, for example, as long as you do the trading, of course. On the customer service side of things, obviously Prime continues to be ever better with same day and now options being rolled out in the UK at the moment. Now, by the way, is delivery within two hours, I think. It hasn't come to Cornwall yet, unsurprisingly, so I don't get to experience it. But I'm hearing it's it's between one and two hours in various cities and new ones seem to be rolling out every week at the moment. In the USA, they're now selling something called Amazon Echo, uh, which sounds fascinating. It's a box that sits in your house waiting for you to talk to it, essentially. And it's got skills it learns, a bit like apps. So you can just talk to it and it'll order you an Uber or a Domino's pizza. So I'm very much looking forward to that one coming uh, to the UK and me trying to get it to deliver a pizza to my house in rural Cornwall. I think that will be quite entertaining. And if Amazon can pull that off and the pizza's still hot and edible, I'll be very impressed. Uh, But... As you can see from those updates from Amazon, they are all about customer service and they're all about encouraging and incentivizing retailers to obey by the Amazon customer service guidelines. So FBAing it rather than doing your own dispatch and so forth. eBay then. eBay is no longer a garage sale. 79% of eBay sales are new items. So it's time to let all those preconceptions go and properly evaluate what eBay could do for your businesses. Um, Almost half of their sales are touched by mobile. So at some point, the customer uses the the mobile app to facilitate the purchase. So there's an awful lot 
of customer convenience going in there, even though it's not one of their stated aims. Like Amazon, they're also interested in CBT, which is short for cross-border trade. And they're very focused on building relationships with retailers in order to grow that unique inventory. Okay, that's all the big updates I've got from eBay and Amazon. As you can see, none of them were really talking about anything particularly new. The next update was about Google. And Google is currently getting in on the marketplace game. Well, that's what we think is happening. Some of you will remember you know, five, ten years ago, they've tried to do this before. Well, it seems they've been running a pilot program on Google shopping campaigns where the customer can purchase right from the ad. And then Google liaises, Google takes the money and liaises with the retailer to give them the customer information, and everything else. Um, it's something Google have played around with in the past. So it's going to be really interesting to see how that develops, if it works and um, if that pilot program turns into something we're able to use here in the UK and, of course, all around the world. Oh, cool. We're on to my third takeaway. Um, This was something which many of you are probably already doing, but I just thought David outlined it in such an interesting and easy to follow way that I just had to include it. So this is the recommended approach for big marketplace selling. As Amazon's so big, you can't ignore it. And during the keynote intro, David Spitz of Channel Advisor again recommended the following approach for retailers who aren't yet, um, yet using Amazon. And I think you could use this approach for eBay as well and possibly, quite possibly, smaller marketplaces. It should remove the nervousness from it because I know there's a lot of you out there who are deliberating getting involved, but it just seems like so much work to do and it's, oh, God, will it become too price competitive? Will it erode your margins? Will you lose customers, et cetera, et cetera? I think as I run through this, you'll see how this can make it a lot easier to, to kind of take baby steps. So the first step, and and this is all about identifying which projects, which products even to put on and which not to put on. So first off, find the overlap and sell that on the marketplace. So work out which of your product inventory is already listed on Amazon by other people and make sure you're on that list of sellers. Because if it's already on sale on Amazon, don't you want a piece of that pie? Then uh, step two is to look at your non-strategic product and any of that that's not already on Amazon and list it. So um, if you so a non-strategic product is a product that you sell that's not already listed on Amazon in this instant and which is not core to your strategy. So, for example, last week's podcast guest was Jules of the Tea Shed. Their strategic product is tea, unsurprisingly. Um, a non-strategic product for them would be their teapots or coasters or teaspoons. So you look at your non-strategic product, identify what of it isn't yet selling on Amazon and list it for the first time. So you'll be the only supplier of it on Amazon you may well see quite a lot of sales coming through through on those lines. The third part of this then is your strategically important products that aren't already on Amazon. Don't list those. Keep those yourself. Keep that as your point of difference. So your strategically important products remain not available on Amazon. So people have to come to you for them. I thought that very simple three-stage program to working out what to put on Amazon or eBay or other marketplaces was a really well explained way to approach marketplace selling. Um, and I think you're, a lot of you will find that useful now that you really do have to con- have to seriously consider getting listed and joining the party on those big marketplaces. If you're going to take this approach, then I suggest you reevaluate what you're doing every three to six months as your your new stock comes in and as things develop on those platforms. 
Okay, fourth takeaway now. Uh, And this is consistent trend themes, which I've vaguely alluded to a couple of times already today. eBay's Andy Lippert summed up a theme that ran through the whole conference and which I've been mentioning, I think, in probably every takeaway episode I've done so far and certainly comes out strongly in other podcast episodes we've done, other interviews we've done. The retail environment, so this is what uh, what Andy Lippert summed up. He said that the retail environment is changing vastly at the moment and that that change is being driven by, firstly, accelerating technological innovation and secondly, ever evolving customer expectations and behaviours. Andy chose to illustrate the convergence of these two drivers by demonstrating how empowered customers have become since 2000. I thought this was such an interesting way of putting it. So in 2000, consumers used desktops. Now they go multi-screen all over the place. Uh, In 2000, they had a standard selection of products to choose from. Now they swipe through an unlimited selection. You can pretty much buy anything online. In 2000, to buy something online was was a bit of an adventure, wasn't it? It was like, oh, where did you buy that? Oh, I got it online. Um, Now it's it's normal and therefore they're expecting a personalised experience that's both easy and convenient. I think it's still very much the case that to deal with this this changing environment, you need to focus on delivering the services, the products, the experience that your customer wants, not what someone else is doing, but what your customers want. And actually, the process of dealing with all of that is covered in my new book, which is reassuring for me because it means I'm writing about the right things. So um, so don't forget, you can get a free copy of that um, if you sign up before the 16th of May uh, and you'll find details of that on the website. Right. Takeaway number five. Logistics is still a huge battleground. Don't worry, I'm not going to say a lot about this because I know we've covered this in a lot of detail previously. So um, essentially all the same messages about the importance of logistics were being talked about across most of the updates, most of the sessions at Catalyst. and, you know, it obviously, you know, it's going to be part of a marketplace's conversation because of the the, the existence of Amazon Prime. So the real um, advice here is to make sure you've got a really good courier and that you're, you're really caring about logistics because customers care about logistics. Keep an eye on mobile. This is our sixth takeaway. And I don't often, many of you will know, I don't often dive into the world of mobile because there's no real consensus. But there's start, we're starting to see a consensus. We're starting to see a route you may want to go down. So there's some key information that was being discussed about mobile on Wednesday that I wanted to take you through. Stats wise, consumers are now more likely to click on a mobile ad than they are on a desktop but they're still doing, they're converting on desktop. So we're still seeing people kind of researching and looking around on mobile and then making that purchase on desktop. But that's starting to change for some businesses. And it's, you know, the general trend overall is that it's changing. Um, So you can't stick your head in the sand about mobile anymore. Neither can I. Uh, So it's another box we've got to open. But at the moment, there is still no no definite structure of how this customer's shift to mobile is going to play out. So there's no if you do this, you'll be fine. That that just doesn't exist at the moment. There's a lot of theories and those are what I'm going to take you through. So there are theories that it's going to be all about apps. Okay. And that that's going to be how the mobile commerce revolution takes off. It will all be all about apps. But before you, you know, you dive off and put make app on your to-do list, um, 
there's a couple of problems with that. It's not like we're all going to have apps like we all have websites because consumers are using ever fewer apps. So they only use three or four apps. Now, they're going to continue shopping from more than three or four stores. So what's the solution here? Uh, there's also the problem that, you know, an app basically has to be on the home screen. And as we all know, on our mobiles, there ain't a lot of space on the home screen. Once you've got your clock in there and you've added your BBC weather and your train line or your national rail inquiries and, you know, a couple of other things, there's not much space for shopping apps on there. So in the world of apps, power is already heavily, heavily consolidated in the hands of Facebook and Google. So um, essentially, if you look at the most popular apps, the most downloaded apps, I think something like eight out of 10, eight out of the top 10 are owned by either Facebook or Google. Uh, Predictions are that e-commerce is going to be consolidated from an app perspective into a handful of big names, Amazon, PayPal, Facebook. We've already seen Facebook launching their own shop. Um, We know PayPal are working heavily to get... um, to get more of us using pay, more of us retailers adopting PayPal because it's easier for consumers to use on mobiles. And of course, Amazon are all over the app universe already. Um, this sort of thing, because of course, this, this then means these apps kind of become their own ecosystems where you can do lots of different things rather than go on the internet, you go on that app. So kind of you can see Facebook as a, almost a private internet that's owned by Facebook. This type of approach has already happened in China, interestingly, with WeChat, which is their kind of their their messaging service, a bit like WhatsApp, but the Chinese version. But it's a lot, 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 lot more than that. It's a whole ecosystem because they've opened up their system. So you can go on there and you can do your banking on WeChat. You can pay for things on WeChat. You can send friends money on WeChat. You can order a taxi. There's huge numbers of things you can do on WeChat. It's almost its own ecosystem, its own Internet, all of its own. Customers prefer to use an app because they feel it's um, it's more secure. They feel like they're having a relationship with it more than they are with a website because it's actually there on their phone. They also love it because it's easier. There's less typing to do because the app remembers who they are. So it's a lot easier to buy using an app if your details are already in it. They also... But but of course, they only use a limited number of apps. So it's it's really quite complex, this apps piece. Then we... Okay, so the next theory... I have no answers for you on apps, I'm sorry. And the next theory is about mobile wallets. That's a payment method within the phone, an app of sorts, which can be used on other websites. So think of Apple Pay or PayPal. So your payment details are stored on your phone. And then when you go to a specific website, it recognises the fact that you've got Apple Pay, you've got PayPal and enables you to pay that way, which speeds up the checkout on any website where those payment methods are, are allowed. So... If wallet beats out over apps, then what you'll need is a really mobile friendly website. But the jury remains out on whether you should go for a fully responsive build or you should build one site for desktop and another for mobile. Because responsive in and of itself can be a bit of a nightmare. Right now, there's essentially no clear winning route. So what you need to do is to keep your eyes open about mobile. And you need to split out sessions and conversion rate each month by device. So stop looking at a mixed in together aggregate aggregate even view of your sessions and of your conversion rate. But rather look at your sessions and conversion rate on mobile, your sessions and conversion rate on desktop, your sessions and conversion rate on tablet and see how that's changing over the months for your business. 
on your website. What this will do is it's going to give you a better view of what's happening to the conversion on your site and it's going to help you understand how your customers are using devices. I'd like to say a quick thank you to Dave Elston of Clark's Shoes for that very useful mobile tip. Oh, and one other thing on mobile, keep an eye on messaging apps for their power to look after customer services. This seems to be becoming, certainly amongst those businesses who are, you know, trading with millennials an awful lot, there's a lot to be said for doing customer service via Facebook Messenger or WhatsApp and so forth. So keep an eye on your customer's desire to start using those. Right then, that's enough on mobile for today. We're now on to takeaway number seven. We are getting, we're getting, we're doing well here today, powering through it. Uh, takeaway number seven, which I think was one of the most interesting things for the whole conference, was uh, what um, Dave referred to as the awakening of manufacturers and brand owners, aka wholesalers, and that that's going to change the landscape. I found it really refreshing to hear this being talked about. Um, I should say uh, that. Uh, This did seem to be quite a big theme across the conference, which whilst conversations I've had certainly suggest it is a very important trend that I've had with other people over the last six, 12 months. But I should point out that Channel Advisor, two of their new areas of their software are directly aimed at wholesalers, manufacturers, brand owners uh, in order to help them keep an eye on what retailers are doing with their products and also to enable them to turn the stockist page of the website essentially into a mini marketplace of their own. So here's our product, here's everyone that's selling it, here's the prices and the availability and all the rest of it. So there was definitely something of a, of a manufacturer sales opportunity for uh, Channel Advisor who were organising the conference. But as I said, saying that this certainly is a trend that I've been seeing over the last um, last 12 months. So to clarify, by my manufacturers slash brand owners, we're meaning the businesses who sell the product to the retailers. So it could be like Whirlpool, and there'll be more on them later, who do zero direct selling to consumers and do everything via their retail partners. Or it could be businesses who both wholesale to retailers and retail their own products. I know in a lot of cases, the company involved might not actually be doing the manufacturing. So I'm going to refer to them as wholesalers here. Both Amazon and eBay are busy building programs to help businesses such as these as well, to help these wholesalers. Which again, you know, uh, confirms that this is a big trend if they're paying attention to it as well. Amazon have two key tools for wholesalers. The brand registry allows wholesalers to take some control over the listings of their products from a brand angle. So right photography, right names, etc. And then the launch pad is an area that showcases new creatively launched products. So those that have been crowdfunded, etc. So it's a bit of extra promo for new things. eBay are doing a fair bit more. Or at least that's the, certainly the impression we got at the conference. They're partnering with big, big wholesalers like Bosch, who are the world leader in power tools, to help them represent their brand better on eBay, creating showrooms that have extra content where only the members of the Bosch eBay authorised sellers program are able to list their products. It seems to be a great way for the wholesaler to be working with their retail partners rather than just wielding a stick at them each time they use the wrong photo or do an invalid promotion. Um, FYI, Bosch have only allowed their top five UK sellers to be part of the authorised sellers programme. So it's a massive benefit to the seller to be part of that and to be part of the Bosch Power Tool showroom, for example, all on eBay with extra content and all the rest of it being provided for them. 
David Spitz, CEO of Channel Advisor, thinks this awakening of wholesalers is going to be such a big impact that it's comparable to the impact of Netflix on Blockbuster. Personally, I think that might be overstating it a little bit, um, but we'll see. He shared the example of Johnson & Johnson as well, who've licensed the Channel Advisor software for 20 of their resellers. I thought this was really clever. So Johnson & Johnson have controlled the brand content on eBay and Amazon for their 20 resellers by controlling their conduit, the channel advisor conduit that allows those those resellers to be trading on eBay and Amazon. I just thought that was really clever. And it's really interesting how all of this really comes back to that customer experience piece. Okay, so moving on to Whirlpool for a bit more of a case study here. We had a whole session from Whirlpool. They're a manufacturer and brand owner of white goods who do all their sales via retail partners. Liam Page, their head of marketing service in brackets, uh, took us through how they've changed their approach to collaborate closely with retailers in order to better serve the end customer. So you see all these themes from the conference kind of coming together in this one. And there's, there's some really interesting bits and pieces here for all of us, not just wholesalers or those retailing on behalf of wholesalers. Whirlpool have done all this because they've been looking at consumer behaviour and consumers are increasingly choosing to purchase their appliances online. It's a growing trend in all territories around the globe with in 2015 it hitting somewhere between territory to territory, 10 to 15% of consumers are choosing to purchase their appliance online rather than offline. Interestingly, the UK is a total anomaly with 55% of us choosing to to buy our appliances online. Yes, that's right. The rest of the world peaks at 15%. In the UK, we're up at 55% of us are buying white goods online. So again, as I often say, the UK is a great place to test out new approaches to e-commerce sales because our consumers are just so e-commerce savvy. You will quickly find out if if it's good or bad because they get it and they'll tell you. Anyway, appliances is an interesting sector to be doing this in because marketing spend has been cut a great deal. There's a long life cycle between purchases and the levels of price competition are intense. So it's a bit of a strange place to be to be doing all this. There's a lot of challenges going on in the appliances sector at the moment. That all makes it really hard to differentiate a brand, which is why Whirlpool decided to take advantage of this change in customer behaviour and do online better than anyone else in their sector. Many businesses who'd come to these conclusions would have decided that the only real way to do this would be to start selling themselves. Whirlpool decided to work with the existing retail partner network instead to create a consistent consumer experience. They know their retail partner network know how to do the delivery bit and the customer service bit. They just needed some help doing the pre-purchase customer service, if you like. Generally, their retailers are very much appreciating this new approach because it's increasing their conversion rates. Plus, and I was reading between the lines of his presentation on this one, so this I'm pretty confident this is what's happening. There have been, they've been some margin incentives to comply with the new world order. What Whirlpool have done, what that new world order is, is they've created all sorts of content that the retailers need. They've created video, copy, spec sheets, images and much, much more. They've then worked with the retailers to help them improve how it all fits together on the website. They've then seen the impact of what they're doing and then they share what's working across the whole retailer network. They're also monitoring monitoring even the retailers' performance not just the sales, but also how well they're using the new content and how well they're complying with the new guidelines. 
an interesting mini takeaway from that is that the content they found that's made the biggest difference is video. So they're actually grading how many videos per product each retailer is showing on the site. That's how many videos, not do they have a video or not. So very, very important content in this area. Liam summed up the project as creating a win-win for both parties, building a true competitive advantage. So if you're trying to identify uh, the product for your startup, why not take a look at some of the manufacturers who need to do a better job of selling direct? If you're a retailer already working with those wholesalers, there could be some good opportunities ahead for you. And if you're a wholesaler, think about how you can work with rather than against your retailers, because there's lots of different ways you can do that now. Okay, it's now time for our last takeaway update, which is the Google update. It's got very little to do with marketplace selling, but I do know how much you love an update from Google. So at the conference, Jeremy Morris, industry head retail and technology, ran through some Google best practices about AdWords. Basically, that's what he did. It was There was lots of different angles going on, but here's the key points I took from it. First off, don't make demographic assumptions. Only 31% of searches for video games are by men aged between 18 and 34. I find that amazing. Um, And 40% of baby product purchasers live in households with no children. So don't make demographic assumptions when you're trying to work out who to target your marketing at. Rather, find out who's interested and then, rather than, than guess. Uh, The second bit is that consumers want the ads to be relevant to them and they want to get their results fast. So you've got to start observing the consumer behaviour in order to get the right ad in front of them. Cross-device tracking is essential. So for a proper understanding of what's happening, you should be moving from last click to to a more wide-ranging view of conversion. So you can't have last click as being the be all end all. 90% of customers are embarking on multi-device journeys to purchase and cross-device tracking captures 16% more conversions. So make sure you've got that enabled on your Google systems. The best performing retailers in the UK are targeting 25% of their search audience. He didn't specifically explain what he meant by targeting for that 25%, but it was certainly implied that targeting was what device they were on, so different ads depending on the devices, or using RLSA, so that's remarketing lists in search advertising, thus targeting people based on their relationship with the business. Um, The next update from Google was that ad extensions are really important. Um, Ad extensions are things like shop links, site links, those kind of things that you add into your ads. Jeremy said that ads with extensions see 10 to 20% better click-through rate than ads without extensions, and they seem to get higher positions in the search results. They also take up a lot more space on the page because those um, extensions take up more space than a standard text ad. One caveat I would say to that is that um, I've seen an awful lot of testing of ad extensions, and sometimes they work, sometimes all they do is increase your costs. So, Test, test, test on that and keep an eye on the results. Um, Next one up, you should definitely be using Google Shopping campaigns because about 40% of clicks are now going to Google Shopping campaign ads instead of text ads. That's 40% of clicks are going to GSCs, not normal text ads. So if you've got products and you're not yet doing GSCs, you really need to sort that out. Uh, The last little 
Google update was that if you're doing physical retail, so you've got shops, you need to feed your individual store's stock into the Google Shopping campaigns as well, because a quarter of consumers want to know if the item they want is in stock before they visit the store. So if you can feed that data in when someone searches for the product you sell and they've got their location data turned on on their phone, what they're going to be seeing or not on their phone, what they're going to see is whether it's in stock or not at their nearby store which is really important for getting that consumer, for manipulating that consumer into your store. What I took from all of this Google session was that if you want Google AdWords to work from you, you've got to work harder at making it work for you. Just chucking a couple of text ads up there is not going to get you the results you deserve. So use those remarketing lists to improve ad performance. Use geographic and device targeting and add in the right extensions and test it all, endlessly test it all. Personally, I'd very much recommend you outsource AdWords to an expert because it's a really complex thing to learn these days. Uh, And I say that as someone who adores tinkering with her own AdWords, but knows deep down she should really be outsourcing it. Right, that's the, the whole of the takeaway. So here's my quick bullet point actions for you or potential actions for you. You can't afford to ignore marketplaces. That's pretty clear now. Um, You don't have to put all your products on the marketplaces, though, so don't think it's everything has to go up there. There may be a niche marketplace for you, so keep an eye out for one that's really specific to your customer, your geography or your product type. Customer expectations are growing and changing. We've been talking about that a lot since this podcast went live. Um, Have a great fulfilment solution. You know this, please do it. Uh, Track your conversion rates by device, not as a whole, and keep a casual ear open for the mobile solution. If you're a wholesaler slash manufacturer, the time is now. Work with your retailers, not against them. And finally, outsource AdWords management so it's working properly for you. All right, everyone. Thank you very much for listening today to my takeaways from Catalyst. I hope you found them useful. You can find the full script right there, ready to read or print, and links to the various resources I've mentioned at ecommercemasterplan.com forward slash 47. There you'll also find details of how to get yourself into the early notification list for my new book, Customer Manipulation, and bag yourself a free copy. Make sure you listen in to our next episode, once it's available, where I'll be bringing you my takeaways from a totally different type of e-commerce conference, Internet Retailing Expo in Birmingham. If any of you are coming along, please do find me and say hi. I'll be in a brightly coloured leather jacket, so I'm pretty easy to spot. Um, And on Wednesday, I'll be chairing the Insight and Experience conference stream. And on Thursday, I'll be chairing the Digital Merchandising conference stream. So you know exactly where I'm going to be. We've got some great speakers lined up on both of those and all the other streams. So please do pop along and have a listen as it's the whole conference is free to attend. Have a great week, everyone, and keep optimising. Thank you for listening to the e-commerce master plan podcast. Find out more at ecommercemasterplan.com.